Hello, everyone, and welcome to the initial uh, episode of our new podcast effort entitled Pseudo-Random Tech. Uh, we're your hosts. Uh, my name is Matt Vest, and I'm alongside my co-host for the show, Travis Dickman. Uh, we're going to um, break down what we, uh, we hope that this podcast is going to be, uh, and then get into talking about some of the... Um, uh, news stories and and uh, topics of the week that we want to cover. Uh, so quickly before we we go too far down down that uh, vein, let me um, just kind of lay out what uh, we see the purpose of of the podcast being, which is um, frankly, uh, Travis and I have been colleagues for uh, a while now, and we've uh, we've had lots of lunches together where we go on wide-ranging uh, <laughs> conversations uh, that I think are valuable. Uh, and if nothing else, we just decided that we wanted to record them and see if the rest of the world shares any of our um, uh, topics or th finds our insight valuable on, on any of these topics. Uh, so hopefully we were able to provide some, some insight on uh, certain things that you know, technologists or even the general public uh, may or may not, um, you know, be aware of. So um, I don't know, Travis, if you want to add anything to uh, to that. No, I think uh, I think you summed it up pretty well. Awesome, very good. Uh, so that that being a very quick um, intro to the podcast, let me just take a couple minutes uh, and introduce myself for um, any of the audience who may not be aware. Uh, my name is Matt Vest, as I mentioned. Um, I am a technology consultant. Uh, I've been in the industry for um, over a decade now, um, and I specifically work uh, in my day job as a um, Microsoft Cloud uh, consultant with sort of the Office 365 and Enterprise Mobility and Security Suite. Um, but of course, as you know, most technology uh, professionals, I'm pretty passionate about uh, all parts of technology. So I, I play around with a lot of technology, run a home lab, um, you know, just like enjoy learning about all of the different, um, uh, you know, parts of, of tech that are out there. Um, and I, I also will go ahead and take this opportunity to admit that I am um, probably more than a bit of an Apple fanboy. So I will more often than not tend to be the Apple apologist or defender. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so hopefully I'm not super irrational. I try not to be, but uh, I, I recognize that I have a, a more than a little bit of fanboyism in me. Um, uh, on a personal note, um, I'm I'm married. Uh, I have uh, three kids, uh, twin five-year-old girls and a seven-year-old son. Um, and uh, as as Travis and I both, we live in Indianapolis, um, Indiana, in the the great and beautiful Midwest uh, of the United States. So a flyover state. Exactly, the flyover states. Yeah. Um, and, and if you ever want to get in touch with me, feel free to reach out on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Invest20, um, and I'll be happy to answer any questions or take any uh, comments there. Yeah, so uh, my name is Travis Dickman. I am a, a consultant and a technologist as well, uh, specifically in the cloud space. However, uh, I favor AWS as my um, uh, cloud provider of choice. Um, that said, I love all parts of technology. Um, I, I've joked in the past that I bleed ones and zeros, you know? Uh, so, you know, everything from, from developing code for Arduinos and microcontrollers all the way through to serverless cloud uh, architectures and event-driven architectures. Um, you know, I, my role today, um, which is, um, I'm here to announce that I have taken a new position formally and um, as a, uh, a lead architect in the cloud space. So um, super excited about that and pumped to join the team. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, married myself, have two kids, uh, 15 and 13 uh, as of today. And um, no, Wyatt and Ava are, are uh, they're quite the, their own uh, personalities at this point. And it's really awesome to see them grow. And technology but, uh, enthusiasts, from what I understand. Yes, they are both quite the engineering, uh, you know, um, um, pursuers, if you will. Mine are as well, though a little bit younger, so their tech is pretty much iPad-focused at this stage. 
Um, though my son, Travis helped me uh, build a gaming PC, a very entry-level gaming PC for my son. So um, moving in that direction. But um, And congratulations on the job. That's the first time I've officially heard the news uh, that we've discussed it uh, a little bit elsewhere. So Yeah, yeah, I accepted awesome. the offer today. Yeah. Good stuff. That's, that's great to hear, man. Very excited. Thanks. Um, awesome. So, uh, as I mentioned, just for context, you know, so Travis and I worked together in the past, um, have come and gone a couple different ways throughout our, our technology careers and have been fortunate enough to maintain, a uh, both a friendship and a, somewhat of a working relationship as well. So, um, you know, we, we have, uh, a great mutual respect, I think for one another, um, Absolutely. from an opinion perspective, um, and a professional experience perspective. Um, Definitely. But also have, uh, I don't know if disagreements is the right way to phrase it, but different opinions about things and are not uh, not unwilling to discuss and debate those things when, when they come up, which is uh, yeah. another reason I want to kind of get into the conversation here. So, uh, what, would, what would you say? Um, enthusiastic, enthusiastic discourse, I would it, say. Absolutely. Completely right. agree with that uh, description of our conversations, um, and and you know obviously the only other thing I would just mention from a, a content perspective, uh, of course we will talk primarily and maybe exclusively about uh, technology. Um, our personal conversations will range pretty wide, um, and and you know I will just uh, caveat this right now that I have uh, no uh, shame or or reservation in speaking about political conversations as well. So uh, those may come up from time to time, especially in sort of more of an analytical frame of mind, if not, you know, a passionate or, or partisan one. Um, so hopefully we can find a spot to sneak that in that doesn't completely turn people off to what we have to say. Um, Agreed. But, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll try and keep it technology focused. I just want to make sure everybody's aware we're not afraid to veer outside of that lane a little bit as well from time to time. Completely agree. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and I, final note, just want to be, give credit where it's due. Pseudo random tech, 100% the brainchild of, uh, of Travis. I take no ownership of the name or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that man, I'm trying to remember where that came about. And, um, I, I think it originally came from the idea that I would, uh, start writing a blog, uh, about random things. Um, and pseudo random tech was one of the original thoughts that came to my mind that what would this blog be about? Well, it ranges and what better way to describe the randomness that is technology than pseudo random tech, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Thanks. Especially with pseudo random number generators and all of the tie-ins that that has. It's, it's a brilliant, uh, name. So I've, globbed onto it and inherited <laughs> some small portion of it for myself for sure, for sure. <laughs> um very good so um hopefully that uh gives you a little bit of background on uh, you know who we are and what we we'd like to do here um and we'll kind of see how the format develops uh, over the course of time one of the things that that we will will hopefully try to do as we, um, as you know, as we go is, um, you know, take a news story or maybe a handful of news stories um, and and discuss those at least at a very surface level. Uh, we, we've talked and we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be news reporters. There's lots of other people out there that are much better at that than we are. Um, but if we think that there is a uh, an element of sort of, uh, you know, core technology concepts or uh, a story that shines a light in a specific way on a, an issue or, or topic of some importance, uh, you know, we'll pull that out and try to extract that from, from that story. Uh, I don't think we have anything today other than uh, if we want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the crypto uh, ransomware attacks that have been going on. Um, but I, I think probably better saved for a, a, a future episode as we know a little bit more about, uh, you know, kind of what's happened there. Um, but any thoughts or commentary on any of that? I would just say that, you know, um, secure your endpoints, right? Let's, let's just PSA, if you will, right? Secure your endpoints. Don't click on malicious or suspicious emails. Um, and, you know, make sure that you're just, as a, as a technologist, just doing your due diligence to make sure that your things are 
protected, right? That's all I want to say about it right now, because I, I frankly don't know enough about the situation to speak in an intelligent way about it. So Yeah, agreed. And and to the initial point of we we don't just want to report what's already happened, but, um, you know, we'll we'll try to add some context <laughs> to some of these conversations. Um, couldn't yeah. couldn't agree more with the uh, general advice of uh, certainly on a personal level protect yourself if you are um, in the either enviable or unfortunate spot of working in some type of corporate IT department um, then even more you know take all necessary precautions um, especially when it comes to any type of email uh, security use MFA um, you know all of the standard things and maybe we could do a um, you know, if, if there's value, I think we could probably do a whole episode on just here are the core basics that you absolutely at a bare minimum should be doing uh, in, in any environment, whether it's personal, professional or or anywhere in between. Sure. So. And I would encourage anyone to to fight the, the urge to put off patching and updates to your systems and platforms uh, as cumbersome or time consuming as those may be, because that. Every moment that you wait to apply those, um, you're leaving the door wide open for someone to come in and take advantage and implant some ransomware in your environment. So, uh, hundred I'm going to say hundred percent agree. If you have an Exchange server that has not been patched <laughs> since well, any time before March of this year, the NSA was definitely. doing it for you, though, right? <laughs> That's true. Or the FBI. Well, as long as you're in, as long as you're in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Right. Uh, Okay. Well, yeah. Um, so should we, um, should we get on with our topic for today? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, the kind of the, the core found uh, core component of what the, the podcast I think will ultimately contain, uh, will be, uh, just a topic that Travis and I have wandered across in any of our, uh, other conversations. Um, and so we've got a list of a few ideas to kind of get started with. Um, but one of the things we've talked a lot about um, recently has been around uh, the chip shortages issues, specifically um, in the context of uh, building custom PCs, um, you know, and the shortages around uh, video cards and, and processor chips. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I, Travis has a, a long history of custom building machines, and I have a much shorter one uh, just in, in building a, a very entry-level machine for my son this year um, with the help of, of Travis. But um, as such, we've had kind of a lot of conversations about um, how it is humanly possible that uh that the free market is not able to here come my libertarian leanings uh, <laughs> is not able to uh you know make supply meet demand for this critically important uh component of our our modern day technology infrastructure so um i i i think i guess as part of the interviewer here travis i'll i'll ask um well, how can you explain at uh, you know a thirty thousand foot level what what it what is the situation today and and why where is this situation going to go in the near future at least as we currently understand it? Sure. Well, just to to kind of backtrack just a, a moment. Absolutely, PC building is a a long time um, long time hobby of mine. Uh, whether it's building machines for family. Uh, or friends and or friends, um, everything from water cooled like monstrosities back before water cooling was a thing uh, through to to today. And um, yeah, love love putting a, a system together and seeing the smile on people's faces when they when everything comes together and, and they see just how fast it is. But anyway, there's nothing better when you push the power button and it actually turns on. Yeah, absolutely. And for me personally, um, the smell. There is a very specific smell that comes from brand new electronics turning on and warming up for the first time. And that that is almost euphoric for me personally. <laughs> it's a little bit embarrassing to admit, but that's the truth. Um, but so anyway, um, chip shortages. So I guess, should we talk about where or when this began? Um we can do Go the best we far. can. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so to the best of my understanding, right, this all started back around the beginning of the global pandemic. 
um, between employees being sent home from uh, the, the manufacturing plants where everything from the silicon substrate to, uh, you know, logistics and manufacturing and all the way through the supply chain, right? People being sent home to avoid spreading the deadly virus COVID-19, right? Uh, so that certainly is one contributing factor to the global chip shortage. But then another contributor to the global chip shortage is some of the sanctions that the U.S. put on China specifically with regard to uh, labor conditions, right, mm -hmm. in, in that country. So that contributed also to the, the overall shortage in, in the supply chain. So those two things then combined with all of these people who have now been uh, quarantined at home, right? So they are driving up demand because let's face it, right? People were going out to, to, to movies, to restaurants, to um, bars, to you name it for entertainment purposes, right? Now they're stuck at home. They've already gone through everything available on Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime. Uh, now they're looking for that next entertainment venue. Oh, and by the way, since they haven't been leaving the house, they've got all this extra disposable income or what appears to be, right, for some <laughs> extra disposable, disposable income uh, that they're, they're just striving or looking for, for something to, to pass the time. And uh, I've, I've noticed uh, everything from, from Twitch streamers, right? There's been an, an increase in Twitch streaming uh, to, you know, PC gaming, to console gaming. All of these things uh, have dramatically increased the demand specifically for PC hardware. Um, and so all of these things combined is where, how we end up where we are today. Right. right? And just to, to add on, you know, add to the, in terms of the increase in demand. So even the traditional things that people were going out and doing, right, say, you know, if you're a, a music fan, you go to a concert. Well, wh when the yes. pandemic hits, all of these things are shut down. And where, you know, the only avenue for replacement of those things is online streaming. So what does everybody want to do? Well, nobody wants to watch the concert of their favorite artist on their 13-inch laptop monitor. So they want to they want a big screen, you know, uh, and, and rather than buy a big screen TV, why not buy a, a computer and put a big monitor in front of it and, and get the best of all worlds? So you have this this weird confluence of events, both in decreasing supply and not just increase in demand, but massive increase in demand in a very compressed time frame um, that completely disrupted the supply chain in, in ways that I don't think anybody um, ever, ever really saw coming. Not so, only that, but let's let's also not forget the increased demand on the logistics systems that were already in place, right? But now everyone's from home, ordering online, having things delivered, like that also has an impact to how goods get from place to place, right? Uh, I, I've heard multiple times that there's a container shortage in the world, like the global shipping logistics economy. There's a container shortage to, to compound this problem. Um, and for whatever reason, I, I don't actually know any of the details around that. I have just heard that that is a significant part of the problem. If I had to guess, I bet you could trace it back to the start of the pandemic. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah. Um, well, so, so to then, uh, not to move the story forward, but I know one of the questions that I asked that you have a little bit of insight to is, so how is it possible, like, it, you know, as any, anybody who's taken basic economics understands, supply goes down, demand goes up, in order to bring the market into equilibrium, supply should be increased. Um, which is a incredibly basic if you're you know making lemonade or um, you know making X widget that has three basic components. But um, with specifically chips um, and, and certain complex chips, um, because of the the fabrication process, that's not possible. So uh, you want to kind of get into the details on that a little yeah, bit sure. as much as you can. Yeah. So so a little bit more about me. Um, I am I'm. 
uh, a, a electronics engineering uh, major in college. So I have my bachelor's in electronics, electronics engineering technology. What that means is I learned the basics of electronics. So discrete electronics, resistors, transistors, capacitors, inductors, all of these things, right? That's my technical background. Um, I just so happen to really also love bleeding edge technology, which is not those things as individual components anymore, right? <laughs> Let's be completely you know, uh, honest about that. Right. Uh, but more fundamentally, how all of these things come together to produce the technology that we use and consume on a daily basis, right? So this is where I get back into the whole bleeding ones and zeros thing, right? So when I'm writing lines of Python, probably one of the higher level programming languages out there, I'm thinking about, oh yeah, well, some register in the CPU is being filled with X, you know, X, zero X, you know, uh, uh, dead beef, right? Uh, for all you Hex fans out there. Um, but you get the point, right? The, the bottom line is understanding from the ground up what's happening with, with not only electronics, but then also manufacturing. I had an early career uh, opportunity to get into electronics manufacturing and process automation. So I got to see some of that thing. But most importantly, in that process, I got the tour of uh, Texas Instruments uh, north of Dallas and had an experience to see where they actually fabricate chips. And granted, this was 20 years ago. So the technology, I'm, I'm absolutely certain, has progressed leaps and bounds since then. But I'm also sure that the principles of those manufacturing technologies is relatively similar. So let's talk about how chips are made, first of all. Uh, and, and when I'm talking about chips, this could be anything from from a microcontroller that goes in your, um, you know, your electronic fly swatter to help you swap bugs, all the way through to your 70-inch um, OLED flat screen hanging on the wall in your living room, or even the car sitting in your garage or, or out front, uh, you know, the the radio in your car, let alone on... the engine management system. Like, let's not even go there, right? So let me go get on Amazon and order my electronic fly swatter. I wasn't even aware that's a thing yet. Oh, so. man. <laughs> the old school bug zappers? Yeah, now it's a tennis racket you can hold in your hand. Uh, it's it. amazing. Amazing. Anyway, um, so chips are everywhere. Uh, and they range in vari varying levels of complexity and technology. So the most... Advanced technology, I believe, that consumers can purchase today is probably a graphics card for a PC. And not just any graphics card, a high-end gaming graphics card, right? So NVIDIA's top flagship models, right? The new uh, 3000 series GPUs. Uh, or AMD's Radeon, uh, what is it, the 6900 60, series of um, graphics cards. So these are the epitome of technology today, right? Super complicated, super um, expensive to, to manufacture uh, silicon chips in those devices. So what it means to manufacture those is you have a silicon substrate, depending on the manufacturing technology that's being used today and the process that they are uh, using to manufacture those chips uh, they range in size. Uh, it's a circular disc, and those discs have a basically um, almost like a mask spread on those, and they will put a metallic disc directly above those uh, that silicon substrate with a mask on it, and they will charge that metal disc uh, at a very high voltage and frequency. Uh, I say high frequency, but really it's like in the hundreds of kilohertz um, frequency, AC frequency. Um, and also, let's keep in mind that this is in a vacuum. This, is a, this process is occurring in a vacuum. So they charge the plate, and what that does is it atomizes the metal from that plate to spatter it down onto the... the silicon substrate below it to uh, basically fill in the gaps in that mask 
and thereby making tiny little traces of metal uh, that are basically at the atomic particle size, right? Um, to, to, to make the electronic circuits that go in these, um, these, these chips. And when we're talking about, you know, when you hear, oh, Intel is on the 14 nanometer uh, process. Well, that means that a single transistor, right, fits in a 14 mil, uh, nanometer space. Uh, now we could get into semantics about that because Intel has this 14 nanometer plus plus process versus AMD's, you know, uh, seven nanometer now process. Uh, previously, I think it was 10 nanometer. I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably missing some facts and I'm sure all of you could co uh, correct me in, in whatever comments that may exist at some point in time. <laughs> but uh, point being that it's really freaking complicated. Uh, it is not a simple task. And so think about all of these steps that have to occur in a vacuum. Not only that, but all of the parts leading into this, this vacuum must pass through a clean room type environment. You must have all of these people that can you know, uh, perform uh, basic QC and QA capabilities of these parts without compromising them in some way. Because let's face it, right? We're talking about nanometers of of space here, right? Dust particles are on, I, I mean, it ranges, right? But a single dust molecule could ruin an entire uh, graphics card, you know, graphics processing unit. Um, so it's extremely complicated. Just for the machinery alone in, a, in one of these manufacturing plants, also, by the way, uses chips. So let's not forget that. <laughs> of course, of course. Right? Um, and not only that, let's face it, you have to have a building to put all of this equipment in. And concrete only dries so fast, right? So all of these things compounded leads to why you can't immediately ramp up supply on something as complicated as manufacturing probably one of the most sophisticated technology products on the planet right. and mass produce them at scale to meet demand. So all, all of the uh, complexity around fab uh, creation, right, makes us um, think that we have this super, super simple uh, idea or, or, you know, process that should occur of let's just spin up a new fab. But because of the, um, you know, scarcity of resources, scarcity of materials, and I think it's important to note um, lack of financial resources to produce one of these incredibly, incredibly expensive um, operations. Um, you know, even even these highly profitable organizations don't necessarily have the liquid capital to just go and invest in spinning one of these things up in, in incredibly short order. Um, you know, and that is, of course, more complex through the, the international global economy that we have as well. Uh, but, you know, it, it, the, the idea that you're going to ramp something up quickly is, is just not as simple when you're talking about one of these really complex uh, pieces of machinery. Exactly. And I would argue it's, I mean, I think the capital does exist, to be honest. Uh, I think the U.S. has recognized from a national security perspective, right, what the risk is um, that the U.S. couldn't get their hands on this cutting edge technology for whatever purposes that they may so choose to use it. Absolutely. And uh, sorry, if I could just cut in for a minute, it's important to know. I mean, this actually illustrates the point pretty well, though. Yeah, we've signed this bill into law of, and maybe this is where you're going. Apologies if I'm stealing your thunder. No. But we've signed this bill into law to create these new fabs. And this was a month ago. And it, it, the process is still ongoing. It is... It, the actual proving of the point as we're seeing it in, in real time. Right, exactly. And so, you know, theoretically, the capital could come together, but you still have to go through the processes. You still have to go through the planning phase of the building itself. You still have to go through the planning phase of supplying the building with multiple sources of electricity so that one, you know, the, the fab doesn't go down because someone ran into it telephone pole, right? Or an electric pole. Like you, there are all of these facets um, of just putting the fab into place 
let alone, you know, thinking through, like I've seen Honda build a manufacturing plant in a place that wasn't suited or uh, ha didn't even have the, the water, electrical, or uh, transportation infrastructure in place to support a facility like that. And the massive undertaking that it was to see that from, from a cornfield in the middle of, you know, <laughs> a flyover state, Indiana, right? Yeah. Um, see that come from, from cornfields up to a full-on manufacturing plant where they're producing cars at 24-7, 365, right? Um, no, maybe not 365, but you get the point. The fact that all of these things have to come together to be able to produce this specialized product. Um, and man, let's face it, right? Auto manufacturing has been happening for, for, for uh, over 100 years now, right? And so, relatively speaking, chip manufacturing has been maybe in half that, maybe. And I, I mean, I don't think it's yeah. even probably arguable. not even that much, but yeah, probably not. But um, let, let's not even talk about the, the rapid transformation or speed in which that technology of chip manufacturing has changed versus automobile, automobile manufacturing, right? So um, point being, it doesn't happen overnight. I'm beating yeah. a dead horse. Well, so. Yeah, well, and at the, the risk of belaboring the point further, it's also important to note, um, or I think the other thing to note is keep in mind also, you know, as this shortage initially was, was happening, right, you also have the problem of there's no labor, there's no materials production. So, so initially, as this m massive demand is increasing, you're diminishing supply with no new supply coming in. Everybody's in this remote work phase and, and all the economic certainties around everything. So in this initial period, everything fell so far behind. Um, and keep in mind that these, these uh, you know, uh, uh, chip manufacturers have commitments to their existing customers that they have to fulfill. Now they have these additional orders coming in that they need to try. You know, it it was this perfect storm of of uh, you know all these things coming together that kind of caused us to arrive um, that in this this state that we've ultimately made it in. Um, and I do have a couple other points I want to make, but if you wanted to to add anything before I do that, please yeah, feel free to I, do so. Well, so we've we've talked about this and not mentioned any specific manufacturer, but let's face it, TSMC is the the biggest yeah. player in this space. Does that mean TSMC is manufacturing Apple's new M1 processor? They've got NVIDIA's. Coming um, to you from an M1 Mac Mini, brand new, just, just <laughs> in case anybody wants. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you've got NVIDIA and their, their, their graphics processing units. Um, you've got AMD and their CPUs and their Radeon GPUs, right? So because AMD sold off their entire fab capabilities... Uh, what I, I don't even remember when that happened, but they basically don't own any fabrication capabilities today, unlike Intel, which does have fabs, which also explains why you can still buy Intel mm -hmm. CPUs. Let's right. not talk about the performance right. differences. Let, that's, a, let's, that's a whole other topic, like yeah. why Intel is in the state that they're in today. And one we might get into at some point in time. We might, yeah, that's, that would um, be a good one. No, so that's a very good point, and uh, I I think the the thing that I want to um, add on to that. So you know, in addition to uh, you know, so you've got this this uh, conflagration of events. Uh, I think I used that word right. Might have just made it up. Apologies <laughs> if I did, but yeah, all these things you know coming together and happening. Um, uh, but I think, uh, you know, so there's two specific areas that I think are worth calling out as um, uh, you know, specific uh, that, that have been mostly or heavily impacted um, in this in this particular by the, the, the root cause here. And one of them, you know, when you get into GPUs, graphics cards specifically, um, oh, I just wanted to mention TSMC stands for Taiwan Semiconductor, just for right. anybody who's not familiar with that, if you want to look that up. Um, yeah, but um, if you're um, not familiar with uh, kind of why GPUs 
um, or graphics cards, wh however, you know, whatever terminology you want to use to refer to them, um, they are incredibly uh, higher in demand and were, were even before the pandemic, um, specifically due to their um, necessity, frankly, to be used for cryptocurrency mining. Um, yeah, we completely sidestepped that, didn't we? We did well, and I, I say all that uh, not because we should get into the cryptocurrency <laughs> conversation, because I think we can have multiple conversations around that. Um, but but just the demand of cryptocurrency on that on the graphics card market specifically has mm -hmm. certainly impacted that. No right. question. And it's one of the reasons you see uh, Travis show up to lunch with two uh, two iPhones up. Uh, trying to actively buy <laughs> graphics cards as he's getting notifications. <laughs> <laughs> no lie. I, I have gone to great lengths to try and purchase a graphics card throughout the shortage. And I am still unsuccessful five months later. Like it, it is Crazy. incredibly challenging to, to buy one at retail price. Of course, anyone can go on eBay and pay the scalpers markup. And which by the way, um, let's, let's talk about, supply and demand in that perspective for just a moment. Um, last I checked, it was, this has even been maybe a week or so ago, uh, a, a 3080, a G, RTX, excuse me, I almost said GTX, RTX 3080 sub, intended to retail for, uh, what is it, $699 for, for that unit? Uh, oh boy, I'm going to get slaughtered on this one. Sorry. Right. Um, Get close. But the point is that they're going for well over $1,200 today, uh, probably closer to $2,000 at this I was point. Say, I, think, I think it's significantly more than that in many cases. Yeah. I've heard three to 400% and sometimes even more. Oh, yeah. Easily. Easily. So, um, you know, there's a specific card that comes to mind um, because a friend of mine got extremely lucky and the scalper tax that he paid was only... I think he said it was only 300 over MSRP, which is stupefyingly um, low, if you ask me, at least in this current market. But it was for a, a card that retails, like its retail price, a 3090, uh, was 2199. That's the retail price for it. And so, percentage-wise, or you know, margins specific here on on that scalper market. This particular card, he purchased it for 300 over that, got super lucky. Not even a week later, I'm looking on eBay to see for myself, like, hey, what are these things normally going for? $3,600. It's insane. It is. It's absolutely, absolutely insane. insane. Um, so, it's the you know, of course, I'm going to keep trying to buy one at retail because, one, I, I've, my neighbor was is is partially through a build right and he's just dying to get his hands on a 3080 um and so i'm trying to help him out but um hey and if i if i score two there you uh, go it's good for me but, i'm uh, sure anyway. we'll find more than enough people who are willing to take one off your hands oh, uh, absolutely for, for even a small scalper tax <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not trying to um, be i'll be honest like i just want to try and help people get the things that they want like that's yeah. That's how passionate I am about this hobby. So anyway. So the, the other uh, point I wanted to make is, so, you know, GPUs are an interesting case study, but one that there are some other uh, factors at play um, with. But what I think is interesting now is we're seeing the downstream effects of the chip shortage in, 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 in lots of other industries that we wouldn't have expected. So, for example, um, you mentioned earlier, Travis, the auto industry. Right. Now the auto industry is being pretty hard hit by this where they're having entire component manufacturers um, that are having to shut down because they don't have the chips to put into these um, you know, into these automotive components. Uh, and, and just as another aside, um, while, while we're down this tangent, but keep in mind, this also, uh, can, you know, the trend continues of how to the electronic fly swatter conversation earlier, <laughs> everything has to be smart. And if it is smart, it has a chip in it, whether it's yes. a TV, a fly swatter, a fridge, whatever device it is, it now has a chip in it and thus is going to be impacted in some way, shape or form by these, uh, shortages either directly or indirectly so um it the as you see you know the uh, these downstream effects are going to continue um at least for another three to six months i think are kind of the current um 
expectations and potentially even longer depending on you know how the the uh, the the production uh, ramps up from here well and i last i heard nvidia was saying that this circumstance with their gpu specifically was going to easily last into early 2022 absolutely um, and again, so, I think GPUs specifically are a slightly different use case than of some course. of these really base level components. But. Of course, but that being said, and I'm this is this is a new uh, realization to me personally. Like if you so the the base, uh, the the fundamental uh, shared component to all chips is the silicon substrate. That is the the fundamental uh, shared resource between varying levels of chips, whether it's GPUs or, or the little microcontroller that goes in your electronic fly swatter, right? Fundamentally, they have the same underlying component, which is silicon substrate because of its characteristics, right? And so that being said, supply and demand hard at work here. If the largest markup is in a product that is not an electronic fly swatter, right? Whatever is going to have the highest return on investment is what all of these manufacturers are going to go after. It's not gonna be the silicon substrate for the, for the penny microcontroller that has gone into the electronic fly swatter. It's gonna to go to these more high-end capabilities. And since the supply of silicon substrate is already um, under you know heavy demand the the every you know let's face it everyone's trying to you know make a buck like they got to pay you know pay the bills keep the lights on put food on the table like at the end of the day they're going to go after what's going to give them the biggest return on their investment and if that is specialized silicon substrate that goes towards building gpus then that's what they're going to make absolutely um, yeah. And so this is the massive compounding of events all the way down through the entire uh, supply chain, even probably to plastics. Like, let's not even talk about like the, like, um, you know, vacuum, vacuum formed, uh, you know, packaging materials for various different things. Like, I'm sure that's impacted in some way, even like the, the you know, if you want to continue to talk about GPUs, the plastic shrouds that go on GPUs, right, to, to cover the fans right. or even the fan mm -hmm. blades themselves, like, all of this, right? There are so many different facets to this entire supply chain issue that the, I, I truly believe that the silicon shortage is only, you know, cracking the surface surface of this problem. Um, certainly, it's impacting all the markets, right? From from auto manufacturers to to whatever. But um, yeah, uh, I, it's um, it's a lot. Well, I think um, I, I think we've done a pretty decent job of, at the very least, talking around the issue, if, if not <laughs> right. explaining it. Uh, hopefully, to uh, to some level of depth. But um, I guess the the last part of the conversation to have is, you know, so like I said, I, I mentioned I've heard on the order of like three to six months for some normal. Uh, or, you know, some of the more standard uh, chip components out there. Um, but what do you have any? Any other insight into kind of what the time horizon is for, um, you know, what when to expect things to start to turn around? I don't. Um, I know that TSMC's new fab that they're building, what, either in Phoenix or in Texas uh, or both, I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't read the latest news <laughs> headlines on that. But, uh, I mean, they're talking 18 months to get that facility up and running. Uh and I would assume that's from groundbreaking to, you know, uh, usable product. So, um, I mean, 18 months is a long time. Right. Uh, but that's just TSMC. I'm sure there are other uh, capabilities. Uh, one thing we didn't even touch on, um, it was mentioned to me through the grapevine that the, the Honda plant that I referred to earlier had to shut down production because one of the suppliers of specialized chips for some component that goes in the Honda vehicles, the factory caught on fire. Yeah. <laughs> like, is this the one down on the Gulf, like in Louisiana or Mississippi no, or something? No, this was in Japan. Oh, okay. Uh, they're, they're a specialized manufacturer of audio chips and some other like signal processing chips. Um, but 
that apparently had a significant impact on the yeah. some component in the supply chain for Honda automobiles. Yeah, well, and so I heard a, a similar anecdote uh, about uh, a, a factory in, I think it was Louisiana that was shut down due to flooding and caused <laughs> uh, an auto manufacturer to shut down. So you're seeing yeah. all these downstream uh, effects, you know, that aren't even directly related to the chip shortage, but just further, you know, exacerbated by um, the chip shortage. So it feels very much like murder hornets. <laughs> it does. It's <laughs> 2021's murder hornets. Right. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess uh, then the only other uh, conversation to have is, are there any other takeaways, Any anything that, you know, the industry or maybe – uh, you know, governments, whether it's the U.S. or or other governments, should should be doing beyond what uh, types of mitigations are already in place, or or at least being discussed, or any other just kind of big picture trends that you think are worth taking away from this. Well, so I think this all st- uh, speaks back to supply chain diversity, right? Uh, when I was in the automobile manufacturing industry, specifically the electronic side of it. Um, I got a glimpse into that, and supply chain diversity was very, uh, um, it was just part of the, the way of that life, if you will. Um, you know, for example, the facility that I worked at um, was one of three providers of this specific radio that went in GM vehicles, for example. Um, the three suppliers that I am aware of for that uh, was a uh, company called uh, Fujitsu 10 at the time, but it's now Denso 10, uh, Pioneer, and um, now I'm drawing a blank on the third one. But the point being um, that supply chain diversity is something that, that auto manufacturers have known for a long time, uh, and I, I don't know... Well, I think that not all industries take that as seriously as what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, um, or or it's impractical to it could uh, be. for yeah. for certain, and that actually introduces another uh, conversation I think we should have at some point, which is um, supply chain attacks and how those have grown in uh, mm-hmm. uh, at the very least grown in our awareness of them, if not the actual execution of them in in. Um, recent months, I think we could, we should uh, cover that, or you know, have a discussion around that, and kind of the the long tail effects of uh, of that part of the process, which admittedly sure. is unrelated to directly what you're talking about, but but uh, does tie in. It does um, indeed. So I, that would be my um, biggest takeaway: that supply chain diversity all the way up and down the stack, right from from cardboard suppliers for packaging materials to silicon substrate providers for for um for for chips right um having that supply chain diversity not only from a vendor perspective but from a a global manufacturing capability perspective right if there's a you know um a volcano eruption that affects everything in the u.s for example like there should probably be whatever unique manufacturing exists in the U.S. should probably be, you know, uh, replicated somewhere else geographically in the world yeah. to to offset any um, manufacturing high availability <laughs> geographic yeah, redundancy. Truly, truly, we get into high availability a lot in in the IT world. I think the same things. I think the world is starting to wake up to how that applies to. Um, the, the manufacturing world as well. So the takeaway then is every uh, manufacturer needs to replicate McDonald's uh, supply chain dominance and control, and they can... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Might be a bit excessive, but sure. Uh, good stuff. Um, Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I guess uh, that brings us to the end then of our uh, our inaugural episode. Um <laughs> I get uh, so just a note for anybody who has either the good fortune or misfortune of, of listening to this um, and making it this far. Um, if you enjoyed it um, or didn't particularly enjoy it, uh, either way, um, let us know. Reach out on Twitter. Well, I'll try and get a Twitter feed set up for the show that we can plug next time. 
Yeah. Um, so we can take some feedback there. Um, again, I'm at invest20 on Twitter. Um, Travis, do you have a Twitter handle you want to? I I am at Travis Dickman on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good old uh, the, the spelling. I'm not even going to try on the audio. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Good luck finding him. Find me and then track down my friends or followers and you can, you can find Travis eventually. We'll get a show Absolutely. feed set up though. It's a little easier to get in touch with us. But um, the other thing I would love to get feedback on is um, – you know, if people did enjoy it, some of the other topics that you might like to hear um, us get into as well. Um, you know, Absolutely. some of the things we've talked about, we've got a list of a few that we we have discussed before and, and I think we'd enjoy. But, um, you know, we're always interested in, in going down some other rabbit holes. So definitely reach out. Let us know. Um, also, if, if you'd you like to be a yeah, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, uh, if you have something that's, you know, um, that you'd find interesting and would like to talk about, like shoot us a, a message on Twitter and, you know, uh, share that with us as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're definitely, um, I think I should have mentioned this earlier on and didn't, but um, would love to get to a point where we could have um, either, you know, one time or potentially even recurring guests to talk about a, a topic that they're knowledgeable on or familiar with or passionate about or whatever the case may be. Um because at the end of the day, we aren't, aren't necessarily selling ourselves as experts on a lot yeah, of the no. things we're talking about, just uh, hopefully semi-educated observers uh, as much as anything else. So. And enthusiasts. Definitely enthusiasts. 100% agreed. Um, excellent. Uh, so anything else that you want to share before we wrap up? No. Uh, be patient. If you're trying to buy something today, just be patient. It, it'll happen. Absolutely. And I would extend that to be patient with us as well. It took us about three weeks to get this first episode finally <laughs> recorded. Mostly my fault. I take full responsibility for it. Uh, so, you know, we're going to, I think our goal is roughly to try and do this like once a week, but that may be a little ambitious and we'll just kind of, you know, we both got families, we both got jobs. This is a hobby and hopefully one that, that other people enjoy as much as we do. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe a little bit of a gap in, in our lead time, at least until we get our, our processes figured out here. So be patient with us as well. But hopefully we'll uh, be coming to you again here in the near future. And um, we'll, we'll try and I, I'll, we'll try and get a, a, a plug going so we can kind of give some heads up on what we're going to be discussing in the future. But right now, just be prepared for anything. Who knows what it's going to be? <laughs> That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. Um, like I said, reach out. Let us know what you think, and um, we will talk to you again very soon. Like, share, subscribe. <laughs>